Well, good morning from, uh, from me. It's great to, uh, to have you here, and I do encourage you to have your Bible open. Um, it's good to listen. It's good to watch the screen, but really it's good to have your scriptures open in front of you on some sort of uh, digital uh, thingy. Right, well, as you look at that, uh, that title, let me just put that down. If, uh, if you look at that, that title, Gospel Teams, doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Gospel Teams, not very exciting. And in fact, if you, if you read through the passage and was listening to what Vicky read to us, uh, as, as Paul goes and ends off his letter, maybe at best you might be thinking it was mildly interesting. He mentions a whole lot of characters, doesn't he? Some he says are here, some he says are there, some send their greetings. And then that weird little bit about Archippus telling him to complete the work in the Lord, not sure what that is, that's weird, and um, <clears throat> just might be one of those odd little passages. <clears throat> well, it's an extraordinary passage, and I hope that you're going to see that this morning. As Matt already mentioned earlier in the service, what is the dominant metaphor that Paul uses to describe the church, both in his letters and the other apostolic writers as well. What's the main dominant metaphor for the church? What is it? Not family. Not brothers. Body of Christ, isn't it? It's the body of Christ. Take a, take a look. Take a look at chapter 1, verse 18, and it's in the book of Colossians as well. And he is the head of the, of the body, which is the church. If you went down to chapter 3 and verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. The church is not a building. The church is not an institution. The church is not a denomination. The church is not an entity. The church is not a non-profit organization. The church is the body of Christ. It is the Christ body, and Christ is Head. And again, as Matt mentioned earlier, the, the start of the service, the, the, the dominating feature, therefore, of the body of Christ or the Christ body is that of equal unity. Equal unity. In Christ, we are spirit filled body parts where we are to be mutually submitting to one another and serving one another in love. What that means, and we've looked at some of this stuff previously, it means that in the body of Christ, no one is better than anybody else. There is no one who is superior to anybody else. There is no one who is inferior to somebody else. There is no one who has authority over somebody else. And I hope you remember this verse in chapter 3 and verse 11, where Paul says, here in the body of Christ, in the Christ body, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And what that means is that, that, that our equal unity in Christ absolutely supersedes and surpasses any earthly distinctions that we may have. Let me remind you again, the Jews thought they were better than the Greeks and the Gentiles because they followed the law and the Gentiles didn't. The circumcised Jew thought he was better than the uncircumcised Jew or uncircumcised Gentile because he carried within his body the sign of the covenant. 
Romans and Greeks, they thought they were better than barbarians because barbarians didn't speak Greek. Scythians were considered to be the lowest of the low. They were the nomads. They were the uncivilized. They roamed everywhere. They were like the gray nomads. Any gray nomads here? Sorry, kidding, kidding, kidding. Scythians, they played no taxes. They were usually illiterate. They were uneducated. They were polytheistic spirit worshippers. They were considered the low lives, just like people in the Indian caste system today. Slaves, they were considered tools. They were just instruments to be abused. No rights, no stature, so disposable. Women were just considered to be toys for men to be played with and then discarded at will. And so it went on. So when Paul says that in Colossians 3.11, what he means is that all nationalistic, ethnic, religious, educational, social, economic, gender, biases, and superiorities are absolutely demolished in the body of Christ. They are demolished. They are nothing. Which means at least three things. One, the body of Christ is the unity of all believers. Number two, the body of Christ is the co-equality of all believers. And it means, number three, that the body of Christ is the ministry of all believers without exception, without distinction. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, what on earth has that got to do with our passage? Well, let me ask you to look at the passage again and see if you can see it. There is a list of everybody that Paul mentions in the passage. There's Tychicus in verse 7. There's Paul in verse 7 and mentions himself down in verse 18. There's Onesimus, verse 10. Aristarchus and Mark, verse 10, sorry, Nisimus verse 9, Jesus Justice verse 11, Epaphras verse 12, Luke verse 14, Demas verse 14, Nympha verse 15, and verse 17, Archippus. Do you see it? Can you see the link? Hmm. Well, if it's a little unclear and it's a little out of focus, it's going to become clear. So let me take you to my first heading, which is Paul's gospel team. The first thing that I want you to see as we look at this list of names is that this is Paul's gospel team. I want you to notice that Paul, although he's an apostle, he's an evangelist, he's a church planter, he is a preacher, he's a pastor, he's the whole lot wrapped up into one. The apostle Paul was no lone-ranging, isolated sort of kind of Christian. Every single person mentioned in the passage forms part of his gospel team in some way. And if you've got your Bible, have a look at how Paul describes some of them. I'll just take it directly from the Greek. From verse 7, he describes Tychicus as a beloved brother, a, a faithful servant, a, a fellow slave in the Lord. If you go down to verse 9, Onesimus, he's a faithful and a beloved brother. Aristarchus, a fellow captive or prisoner. Uh, verse, verse 11, 
Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, they are they fellow, they fellow workers. Verse 12, Epaphras, a fellow servant or slave. And then Luke, he describes in verse 14 as a dear friend. Here's what I want you to see, is that this, this is Paul's gospel team. It's, it's, it's a partnership in the gospel. It's a gospel friendship. It's a gospel togetherness. It's a gospel comradeship. That There is deep connection and there is deep affection. And there is absolutely nothing superficial about this. See, this is a picture of the church. This is a picture of the body of Christ. It's a picture of God's body parts that are all connected to one another, spirit-filled on mission for Christ and for the glory of Christ. Isn't it interesting that even though Paul went on his missionary journeys, even when he is in jail, it is unity and togetherness of the body that was on display. Let me just show it to you from a slightly different angle. If you've got your Bible, you want to turn there if you can get there, but otherwise in Romans 16. Pick it up in Romans 16. In fact, I'll just start in verse 3. Paul writes to the Roman church. He actually writes, it's a missionary letter. He wants to get support. He's on his way to Spain. He ends off his letter, and he ends off with all these greetings to various gospel partners and friendships. So 16.3 of Romans, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers. In verse 5, he says, Greet Eponetus. From the Greek, it's my beloved. Uh, verse 6, greet Mary. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius. They've been in prison with me. And in fact, they are two people that are absolutely outstanding among the apostles. And Paul just goes on. If you've got your Bible open, Romans 16, he goes on and on and on and on. Greet, 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 greet. And it's very important to realize that in that whole passage, so many of those greetings were addressed to women. This is gospel team. Gospel friendships, gospel partnerships, they were important for Paul at an individual level. They were important for the sake of the gospel. Now, we shouldn't get the idea this morning that, that we can have these sort of intimate, connected, close, affectionate relationships with everybody in the church. That's not the point. The point is that there should be a growing connectedness with us. There should be a growing affection. There should be a growing sense of togetherness. These gospel friendships, these gospel partnerships, these gospel units, whatever you want to call them, they, they should be things that we are seeking and we should enjoy. That's why you may have noticed it. That is why at BBC, it's one of the reasons why we have and we are moving towards team ministry. Team is not just a word, it is the substance. So we talk about crash teams, music teams, coffee tea teams, communion teams, pod team, board team, eldership team, kids church team, preaching team, pastoral team, all manner of serving teams where we are seeking to serve one another in love, in connectedness. We're not to be little, little gospel islands all over the place doing our own little thing in our own little way. It's together. 
It's encouraging together. It's loving together. It's supporting together. It's, it's praying together. It's serving within teams. And that's why here in practice, as we start moving forward within the body of Christ here at BBC, you are being encouraged to be part of a team. Now, if you've got your Bible, have a look at verse 8, where Paul says something very important. He says, I'm sending him, and him in the context is Tychicus, verse 7. He says, I'm sending Tychicus to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and he may what? Encourage your hearts. If you went down to verse 11, Jesus, who is called Justice, sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, for they have proved a great comfort or encouragement to me. So the glue, if you want to put it this way, the glue of team is encouragement. That's what the glue is. And that ties directly into Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So some of the questions I want you to just think about this morning is, are you currently part of, well, I guess the big team of BBC, but are you part of one of our serving teams? Are you an encouragement to others? Are you serving alongside one another's? Or is it that you're just a little island over here and there and everywhere and actually, all that really happens is that you come to church and pitch up on a Sunday morning. Are you connected? Is there a sense of togetherness that you experience in team? Who are you encouraging? And who is an encouragement to you? That's what it's about. Let me give you my second heading. Paul's gospel team. No, I haven't forgotten that that was my first point. That's also my second point. I want you to have a look at the characters on the screen again. And hopefully you'll start to put this together. So we mentioned Tychicus, Paul, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark, John Mark, Jesus, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, Nympha, and Archippus. Okay? Seem to be fairly random. Let's reshape the names according to their backgrounds of what we know about them, either from the book of Colossae or from other places like Acts. And here's what it looks like. Would you get me out of the way? Thank you, um, Ian. All right. Here's the team. Tychicus, we know from the book of Acts, is a Greek from somewhere in Macedonia or Asia. He may well have been a barbarian. Barbarians, modern day, that would be Ukraine, Romania, those sort of places. We've got Paul. We know he, is a he was a Pharisee Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. Onesimus was a slave. He was a runaway slave. He ran from his master Philemon, and you can pick that up in the book of Philemon. You've got Aristarchus, a Jew. John Mark was a Levite Jew. He's the cousin of Barnabas. We know from Acts 4 that Barnabas was a Levite Jew. Jesus, Justice, a Jew. Epaphras, a Gentile. 
Luke. Luke was a Gentile, his doctor. He may well have been a slave. And you say, what do you, what do you mean? Well, slave names were always shortened. Luke's name is shortened, the same as Demas. And what used to happen is slave owners often uh, uh, made a lot of money off their slaves, and very often they were doctors in the Roman century. And so Luke may have been a slave, but definitely a Gentile. Demas, a Gentile. Nympha, a woman. And Archippus, possibly a young man. He's probably the son of Philemon. We picked it up from Philemon. Do you see it? Can you see the team? Who's in Paul's team? Greeks, Gentiles, Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, slaves, free, barbarians, Scythians, women, young people, educated, uneducated, rich, poor, the whole lot. Can you see it? What's happening here is that the diverse ethnic, nationalistic, educational, gender, age, social, economic, everything, this whole diversity is on display in the body of Christ in glorious color. In other words, oneness, oneness across all dimensions for Paul was not just a theoretical doctrine. The diversity was reflected in his team. And this oneness across all those differences was reflected in Paul's team. It was reflected in the church at Colossae. And it was no doubt reflected in the church that met at Nympha's home. Let me press this a little bit further so you feel the weight. Paul, a converted, pharisaical, Roman citizen Jew, had converted slaves converted free slaves, he had converted poor, converted rich, converted illiterates, converted Greeks, converted barbarians, converted Scythians, converted women, converted young, converted old, converted pagan worshippers. He had the whole lot in his team. And what that means is that in the gospel team and in the gospel churches of that time, there would have been everybody of every single color. There would have been black. There would have been white. There would have been white. There would have been Arab. There would have been colored. There would have been just every shade thereof. You see the picture? The church is a multicolored, multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-educated, multi-socio-economic, multi-slave, multi-free, multi-gendered, multi-everything. This is gospel team. This is gospel church. And this is the type of diversity that we want to be growing in, not just at our team level, but at our church level, at our body level. If we want to ask the Lord to grow this place, if we want to ask the Lord to add people to this place, we want to ask the Lord that He will add a multi to this place. And that's not a sporting bet. That He will add a multi-dimensional ethic across the board. Because I hope that you realize this morning that in heaven... It won't be full of converted white Westerners from Bustleton. You know the picture, don't you? Have you seen the picture? 
Here it comes. Here's what we're waiting for. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Could we pray both in our church and our teams, that there be a growing multi-ethnic that reflects more and more of the diversity of the body of Christ that is held together by the Spirit. And one day, we will all serve in glory together. Let me give you my third heading, Paul's Gospel Team. No, I'm not losing my preaching marbles. I want to give you Paul's Gospel Team from one third angle. And this is very important. Paul mentions something in chapter 4, verse 10, if you've got your Bible, and something in 4.14 that we need to be aware of. Take a look. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. You need to understand something about Mark. Mark was a very close contemporary of Paul and Barnabas. At one particular time, they went on a missionary journey. And during this missionary journey, the, 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 the going got tough, the persecution got severe, And Mark bailed. Mark left the team and he went back. A little while later, Paul and Barnabas were going to go on another missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take Mark and Paul said no because he bailed. They had such a sharp disagreement that Paul went one way taking Timothy and Silas. Barnabas went the other way and he took Mark. Paul refers and alludes to that situation and tells the church to obviously accept and greet Mark. But what Paul is getting at is this. When the going gets tough, when the gospel going gets tough, sometimes even gospel partners and friends and supporters will let you down. When the, going, when the gospel going gets tough, There are sometimes going to be Christian friendships, Christian partners, Christian brothers and sisters that are not going to be there to support, not going to be there to encourage. You see, what has happened is that as Paul is in jail, there are some Christians that have actually become ashamed of his chains. They're ashamed of Paul. They're ashamed to be associated with him. Let me show you to you in the passage. Look down at verse 18 where Paul says, I write this greeting in my own hand, remember my chains, you see? Why? Because what's happening is there are, there are Christians that are now ashamed of his chains. They don't want to... And we're not talking non-Christians, we're talking Christians. We'll see this a bit more clearly. Watch this. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says in 2 Timothy 1.15, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has what? Deserted me including Philegus and Hermogenes. 
Have a look at 2, 2 Timothy 4.16. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Do you see it? There were times, there were times when people, Christians, dropped the ball. They even turned their back on Paul. They, they were not the encouragement they were meant to. They were afraid to associate and stand with Paul because he's been in jail so many times. Even Timothy, even his protege, even the teenager, he took as a boy and he reared him and he mentored him. Timothy was afraid at times to stand with Paul. Let me show you 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. He says to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Keep that in mind. Now go back to the text. And if you go down to Colossians 4.14, he says, Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas sends greetings. And we know that Demas abandoned ship. 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, this is later on, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. There are going to be Christians that drop the ball in the team. And there are going to be non-Christians who seem to be Christian that sometime going to drop the ball, are going to betray and are going to desert the faith. You see what Paul's doing? Paul's team mirrored the team of Jesus. Do you remember the team of Jesus? You remember Peter, the beloved disciple? You remember how many times he denied Christ? You remember? He was a believer and he denied Christ. You remember that Christ goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and it says all the disciples fled, every single one of them. There are true believers that drop the ball. And then you remember the other person in Jesus' team, don't you? Who was? Who was Judas. He was, the, he was the tear among the wheat. He was the thorn among the flowers. He, he looked like a Christian. He was like Demas. He loved the world. And, and then he sold out Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Within this beautiful body, diverse body of Christ that is one, that is unified, it's together. Gospel teams, gospel churches need to expect there are going to be times of hurt and pain and confusion and betrayal. Either from Christians or pseudo-Christians that pretend to be the real thing but are not. We're going to be hurt by believers in various ways. We're going to be betrayed by some who say that they love us. We're going to walk with people for many years. And then they're going to walk out the door and say, I deny Christ. But here's what I want you to see. Within this team that's going to experience, and Paul has experienced it, this, this team of, of hurt and betrayal and that, I want you to notice that Paul does not give up on team, and he does not give up on church. 
you and I, have, most of us here have probably either known people or know people, Christians, who are no longer part of the body of Christ because they've been hurt so badly. Maybe they've been burnt in the church. Maybe they were burnt by the pastor, burnt by the associate, burnt by the youth leader, burnt by, burnt by just a brother or sister. And this is real, folks. This is especially true for Christians that have been abused in the church. Christians that have been abused by leadership, whether it be emotional, spiritual, economic, financial, sexually, whatever. This hurt is real. It is deep. But what Paul is saying to us here is that we are not to abandon the church. We're not to abandon the gospel team, but to stay committed and true and persevering. Why? Because the church is what? It's the Christ body. It's the bride. It's the wife of Christ in Revelation terms. Jesus Christ laid down His life for the church. He gave His blood for the church. In one of the most unique verses in all of the Bible, just look at this, Acts 20, 28. Keep watch over yourselves and writing, this is really Paul talking to the elders at Miletus. Keep watch of yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made your overseers. But here it comes, be shepherds of the church of God. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. That's why you don't abandon the church. That's why you don't give up on her. That's why you don't leave her when she hurts you. Because she is the body. She is the bride. She is the wife. And Christ's blood was shed for her. These are words that we all know coming up on the screen. They are very, they appear on all the Hallmark cards, don't they? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And here it comes, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always, what? Perseveres. See, the context here is... This applies to our relationships in the church, especially when we're hurt by one another. I've hurt many of you. Some of you have hurt me. Paul had been hurt by many in his gospel team. Paul had a persevering love for the church. Because Christ's blood was shed for her. And listen to this. And Paul's wounds from the churches were part of wearing his scars for Christ. Did you hear that? Part of his wounds from the churches was Paul bearing the wounds and the scars of Christ. We have to expect hurt. We have to expect betrayal. 
but we've got this persevering love for one another, which takes us through those times. I think, got your Bible, I think this is exactly what Paul's getting at with that weird little verse in verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Now, you go and read 500 commentators, and they won't be able to tell you exactly what Paul is referring to, and we don't know for sure. But I think in the context, I think one of the things that Paul is saying to Archippus is you need to persevere in the ministry. In other words, it's very possible that Archippus was a very discouraged young man. Archippus is probably the son of Philemon. His mother was Apia, who we pick up from Philemon. And, and maybe he had been just starting in the ministry. And, and it's very possible that Archippus was actually very, very badly hurt by Onesimus, who was a slave in his household that had, that had run away. And we know from Philemon that when Onesimus ran from the home, he actually stole certain things. Maybe Archippus was discouraged and hurt and betrayed. Archippus, don't abandon the church. Don't abandon the body. Don't run away. Don't stop working in gospel teams. There will be many discouraging times, but it will also be your encouragement. Can I stand before you honestly and say to you this morning, ministry over the last 22 years has sometimes been so painful. Not because of non-Christians, but because of the wounds and the blows of, of, of Christians, of brothers and sisters. There have been times, even times in my time here in the last nine years, that I've wanted to run. Give it all in, walk away, find something else to do because I've wanted to shield myself from the pain that has come. I once read a line in a Christian book that went like this. I've never forgotten it. Christians are the only people who shoot their wounded. I need to hear this. I need to hear this this morning. Tell Paul, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Do you need to hear that? Does your name need to go in that blank? Tell, tell, see to it that you're complete. Don't abandon. Don't jump ship. Don't run away. I'll give you my fourth heading and I'll finish. You probably guess what it is, hey? Let me sum it up for you and I'll just close. What I hope that you've seen is 
Paul's gospel team is a microcosm of the church. And it was beautiful with all those different names and people and backgrounds. But yet unified by Christ in his spirit. One across all diverse multis. Yet glued together by encouragement. Certainly not immune from hurt and betrayal. May even get infiltrated by non-Christians like Demas and Judas. But his team perseveres for the love of Christ's body for which Christ died and gave his blood. I, Paul, have written this sermon with my own hand. Grace be with us all. Amen. I'll let you sit for a moment, the team.